several weeks, last three messages on inner wholeness. And today is the fourth message and the last message in this series on inner wholeness. We talked about rebuilding your self-image. That's how we began this series. We talked about the uprooting issues. Last Sunday we dealt with healing deep wounds and hurts. And this morning I want to talk about reorienting inside out. One of the main reasons we are dealing with inner wholeness is because we realize and we understand that if there are things inside of us, in the realm of our soul, our mind, our will, emotions that are not right, that are broken, that are hurting, they will limit us and hinder us from becoming all that God wants us to be, from reaching our full potential in God. We all understand that, amen? And so we need to be whole on the inside, in our soul realm. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, he says, I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to be whole on the inside, is what he's praying, in addition to being whole physically and spiritually. So we've been dealing with this. Now, I must make this comment here this morning as we talk about this reorienting inside out. It might be a little disconnected from our everyday life for most of us. Might be a little disconnected because you may not identify with it immediately. You may not find yourself in a similar situation. So it might be a little disconnected. And if you look at the progression of what we've been doing, the very first message, we talked about rebuilding your self-image. That all of us can identify with. Amen? All of us need that. We talked about dealing with issues, wrong attitudes, wrong behavior. And once again, all of us can kind of relate to that. And then last Sunday, we dealt with hurts and wounds. And not all of us necessarily have gone through traumatic experiences. Not everyone. Maybe there's some percentage of us who've been blessed enough to, or just been blessed not to go through some traumatic things in life. So not, uh, doesn't mean that everyone has deep wounds and hurts. And so this morning's message may be even further away from hurts and wounds, a little bit more disconnected. But I want you to listen to it from, for two reasons. One, maybe there might be some of us who can relate to it. You find yourself in a, in a situation like that. Or you know of people, your friends, your family, your people in your workplace, your colleagues, who are in that situation. And so listen to it from that perspective of how you and I can help minister to them how we can help reorient them inside out. Are you all with me this morning? Right? So don't tune off just because you don't find yourself in a situation like this. When you talk about reorienting inside out, we want to deal with deep emotional bondage or deep deception that people find themselves in. We're talking about things like long-term addictions, whether it's to alcohol or drug use, we're talking about long-term depression, maybe even leading to suicidal tendencies. Now, we all get sad now and then and be singing the song, I'm trading my sorrows and all of that. So you cheer yourself up. But we're not talking about, you know, these occasional bouts of feeling sad. We're talking about long-term depression that leads people into wanting to end their life. It could be when you talk about reorienting inside out. We're also talking about abnormal lifestyles such as homosexuality and gay and lesbianism and so on. And it could also involve religious deception because of emotional bondage, where people are trapped in 
a religious web of deception. And they also need help. So we want to talk about these things and learn how we can, what we can do to reach out to such people. And maybe some of us here this morning who need God's intervention in our lives in this area. To begin with, we must say that no one is born like this. No one is born an alcoholic. No one is born a drug addict. No one is born depressed. Amen? You all agree or disagree? <laughs> I think we agree, right? No one is born like this. Something along life's journey has caused individuals to get in to this kind of a disposition. It may be circumstances, situations, wrong influences, things of that nature that have pushed people in to this deep-rooted emotional bondage or deception. You know, talk about long-term addictions, whether it's, uh, you know, addiction to alcohol or other drug, drug use. It usually begins in a very small way. You know, you say, come, just have a little drink or a social drinky kind of thing. Just begins in a small way. And before that person realizes it, he's bound to it to the point where he's helpless to come out of it. Just began in a very innocent, small way. That's so what the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, the 20th chapter, verse 1. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So wine doesn't come to you and say, you know, follow me, I'm going to lead you to hell. It doesn't come that way. It comes in a very innocent way. I'm going to, you know, this is just going to make you accepted by the rest of your peers, or so on. But then, it's going to lead us astray. There is a downward trend that sets in if you're not careful with it. There is, it's a mocker. It laughs at your own ability, at your own ability to control your will. Laughs at it. It's a mocker. Begins in a very innocent way and takes you downhill. Think about those who are in long-term depression or have suicidal other tendencies. And it could be just a pressure of everyday life that drives them into it. I mean, it's alarming to see in our own city College, high school students or even college students, you read of them in the newspapers, taking their own life. Just the pressure of studies drives them to such things. And of course, you read of others who end their life because just there is a deep sense of rejection from family. Or it could also be difficult circumstances that led people to believe that it's not worth living. Just life's not worth living. Think about the farmers who end their lives because there's no rain, there's no crop, there's no harvest, there's no money. So what's the use of living? Drives them over the edge to take such drastic actions. I think about abnormal lifestyles such as uh, homosexuals, the gay, lesbianism. And it's become such a big thing that even governments around the world try to address it. And you and I are aware of what's happened recently in India with the Delhi High Court ruling. But the point is this, regardless of what the government says, God says it's wrong. I just want you to look at a verse here in the passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 29. The Bible says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves." 
who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to wild passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in the hearts in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, and goes on. So what's God saying? The Word of God is telling us here that homosexuality is abnormal. It's against the natural design. It's against what God designs. So regardless of who says what and which court rules what, the Word of God says it's not normal. And in fact, the Bible tells us that they burned in their lusts, and that's why they ended up doing this. And God said, okay, go your own way. God gave them up to their corrupt mind. He said, go ahead. That's what you want. Go ahead. But you're in error and you're going to have the penalty for these choices. I do want to make it clear that we do not condemn the homosexual. While we know what they're doing is wrong, we love them. They are human beings. They're people. Amen. So if somebody comes to all people's church and says, hey, I'm, you know, I'm homosexual. Can I be a part of the church? It's okay. Come and attend. No problem. Because we expect God to reorient them inside out. You can sit next to them. You can shake hands with them. You can be their friend. Because you know that through you, God can reorient them. We don't run away from them. We welcome them. While we do not condone the wrong they do, we love them because we know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Amen? So how do you deal, how do you help someone who might be in this trend, in this abnormal lifestyle? Or talk about religious deception. I just want to highlight this a bit because I'm just a little concerned with what we're seeing, especially among young people who, who get excited about the Lord Jesus Christ but do not have enough in them to discern what is of the Lord and what is a Xerox copy or somewhat close to a copy. They don't have enough in them. And then they get drawn off into seemingly good religious groups or organizations, but then they get so trapped in it, and it's a process of bringing them out. So I want you to listen carefully as I spend a little time here and talking about religious deception that originates and that leads to emotional bondage. Paul warned us about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. He said, the Spirit expressly or very, very clearly says that in latter times, in last days, some will depart from the faith. That means they were in the faith. They knew the word. They were walking with God. But something happened that caused them to depart from the faith. What is it? They gave heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So here you have spirits and teachings of demons that are prevalent even among or begin to influence even those in the faith. And what consequences? They speak lies and hypocrisy. They have their own conscience seared with a hot iron. 
And they forbid to marry and they commit commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Meaning they, they become deceived and now they, they don't hesitate to lie. They can do things against their own conscience. Their conscience is seared. No longer bothers them. And they, have, they create a framework of what seems so religious. Don't marry. Don't eat this food. Don't, eat, don't do this. Don't. They create this framework and all of it originates from deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And who are the people that get trapped in it? He says, those who once were in the faith. So it's pretty concerning. Got to be careful. Paul again, and I just want to read a couple of passages here. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, he says, Let no one cheat you of your rewards, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels and intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up with his fleshly mind, and not holding to the fast, holding steadily to the head, that is Jesus Christ, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with increase that comes from God. So he says, be careful that no one robs you, cheats you, or deceives you from your rewards. And they draw you into all kinds of weird things, talking about false humility. You know, you do live like this, and that's the true, that's true humility. And they draw you into worshiping of angels and, and looking into things which they themselves have no clue of what they're doing. So he says, be careful of these things. To the Corinthians, he once again writes, he says in 2 Corinthians 11, Verses 3 and 4 and then verses 13 and 15 he says, I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He says, you know, I'm afraid of you Corinthians. Why? Because I'm afraid that just like Satan deceived Eve, he might end up deceiving you, corrupting your simple mind, your minds from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. And then he warns them, he says in verse 4, if Anyone comes to you preaching another Jesus whom we haven't preached or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you haven't heard or which you haven't received from us, you may well put up with it. In other words, don't accept it. And later on in that same chapter in verse 13, he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming them into apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So he's saying, you know, you've got to be careful because Satan doesn't come to you with a red suit, with a pitchfork in his hand and two horns pointing on either side. He comes to you like an angel of light. Meaning it's very hard to tell. It looks like the real. It's just another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. But it looks like the original. So you've got to be careful, he says. And what we are noticing is that usually those who get drawn into these kinds of things end up in deep-seated emotional bondage. It's not that they just believe slightly differently. It's more than that. They're in bondage. And it's deep-seated. It's not easy to come out. So how do you help people whom you know might be in such situations? So let's talk about this, reorienting inside out. Whether it's being trapped in addictions, whether it's being in emotional bondage or in an emotional, abnormal emotional state of deep depression, or it is an abnormal lifestyle, or even something that's religious, 
in its nature. How do we help people? How do we minister to them and help them recover from what they find themselves in? I'm sharing some thoughts here from Ed Smith's Healing Lives Hurts, which I find very useful in this context. And I think it will help us understand and minister to people. Here's what he says. He says, first people in emotional bondage are in emotional bondage due to two basic factors, belief and choice. These two factors are rooted in the context of deception. So two things are wrong here. People are in emotional bondage. They believe a lie. They believe. Their belief is in deception. They believe a lie. And consequently, their choices, which are determined by what they believe, are also influenced by the lie they believe. So there is deception, both in the realm of their beliefs and their choices. They believe a lie, and they choose to live in accordance to that lie. And secondly, when we believe a lie, the outcome will often have much the same consequences as though it were true. So if you believe a lie, your experience, even though it is a lie, may seem very much like the truth. The person who is an alcoholic, he's going to say, you know, I'm totally free. Look how I enjoy. I get this high and I'm just totally free. I have no cares, no problems. Looks very much like the truth. But really, he's in bondage. person who's in, into drugs, he says, this is very, very nice. I mean, I mean, you guys in church have no idea the high that I experience. I'm really free. All you guys have to read the Bible, pray. Pastor tells you to pray every day. I mean, I am free. I do whatever I want. So it looks like the truth. It looks like he is having real freedom. Really, he's in bondage. So even though he believes a lie, the outcome, the experience seems like it's true. And thirdly, here's what we need to do as we want to minister to people. To be free of the lies we believe, we must identify and own the lies rather than suppress or deny we believe them before we can be free from them. So we need to help people identify and be, take responsibility of the lie they believe. And that's the challenging part. How do you get to see, how do you get them to see that this abnormal lifestyle of, of a homosexual lifestyle is not right? It's a lie that they believe. The homosexual thinks, you know, I've been designed like this. He wasn't born that way. But he thinks he was designed like that. And that's why he has those tendencies and wants to live that way. So how do you help them see? Well, there are two very important factors that's going to help us see the truth. First of all, is the Word of God. Now, I realize that not everybody will be accommodating to the Word of God, but that's where we begin. As long as they are receptive to the Word of God, anything that contradicts the written truth is a lie. So that's our first approach, saying, look, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says you were not designed like this. The Bible says you were called to be free. The Bible says there is a, there's a better way of life. It's an abundant life. We need to present the truth to those who are willing and open to receive the truth. Now, in some cases, they may not even have any regard for the written word of God. They don't want to receive the word. They may not consider this to be the truth. And so in, that, in a situation like that, we need to help them see that a lie, while promising freedom, actually takes control of the will and renders the individual powerless. The individual is no longer free to say no. So then you ask the question, if this is bringing real freedom, do you have the freedom to say no to it anytime you want? The answer very likely is no. So then, 
It's not real freedom. You're in bondage. You're being controlled by it. You've lost control of your own will. And the very thing that you say is making you free, whether it's alcohol or drugs or this abnormal lifestyle, the very thing you say is making you free is really controlling you, is really your master. So you're not really free. You're bound. You're in bondage. There's sin and there's deception. So our first thing is to help them identify and own, take responsibility for the lie they believe. You know, what I'm doing is not right. What I believe is really a lie. And then we must help them understand that in the midst of, we're talking about us, in the midst of our darkness, we must come to realize that how utterly bound we are to the lie and how helpless we are to overcome its grip on our lives apart from God's divine intervention. Recognizing that we are bound and that in our own selves we are helpless to come out of it. I think, I heard Amy mention this earlier, that the Alcoholics Anonymous, the first step in the 12 steps of recovery is this. I am powerless and I need the help of a superior power. First step, recognize you're powerless. Recognize that you are in, you're trapped in this. You're controlled by it. And in your own self, you're powerless to come out. So there's no point in going to an alcoholic and say, stop going to the bar. Or to the drug addict and say, stop taking the drugs. I mean, he's powerless. Sooner or later, he might himself say, you know, I wish I could quit it. But I'm powerless. Recently, you're talking to a person who was, we're talking about religious deception, or trapped in some religious group, and one of the things, and Pastor Steve was there, and one of the things this person said was, you know, I find myself powerless. I'm just drawn into it. Drawn into that, that group. And fortunately, she was an important part of all people's church. And so it's a big matter of concern for us. And that's why we have to be careful. And now, the young person says, I've just, I'm just powerless. I'm just drawn into this group. That's it. Taken in. Well, that's a sign of what deep deception and emotional bondage can do. Render you powerless. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, that a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So talking about people, Paul says, you know, there are people who have been taken captive by the devil. They're trapped. But here's, a, here's what we can do. Pray or just seek that God will grant them repentance so they may come to know the truth. See, they can't come out on their own. We need, pray, we need to pray that God will grant them repentance. The ability to recognize the truth. Have a change in perception. Change in mind. So they can come to know the truth. And come to their own senses. And come out of the trap the devil's taken them into. So it's not a matter of how much you can debate with these people. So that's why Paul says, you know, you don't go around there trying to quarrel with them, debate with them, and, and just be humble before these people because it is God who's got to grant them repentance to the truth. You cannot bang the Bible on their heads and tell them, why can't you, you know, face up with the truth? It's not going to work that way. God's got to grant them repentance. They need to come. They, they are powerless themselves. They need the help of God in their lives. God's got to intervene. Grant them repentance. Come to know the truth so they can come to their senses and come out of the snare, the trap that the devil's put them in. 
So help them identify, help them recognize that what they believe is a lie. Second, help people say, you know, I am powerless and I need the help of God to bring me out of this place. And then, of course, the only thing we can do last year, last step or point or whatever is that we must understand that no person, including ourselves, is capable of stalking us out of the lies we believe. We will be free only when we receive the truth from the one who is the truth. So all we can do is invite Jesus, who is the truth, to set them free. Because this is beyond arguing. This is beyond debate. This is beyond trying to, you know, bombard them with scriptures. Because they will probably quote more scriptures than you. This is beyond that. The one who is the truth has to step in to displace the lies. Jesus said this. He said, if you abide in me, in John 8, 31, 32, and 36, He says, if you abide in me, in my word, you, will, you are my disciples indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And then he made this statement. If the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus can set them free. And there are testimonies of people all around the world, whether they were, you know, alcoholics for 30 long years, or drug users, or living in gay or lesbian lifestyles, or trapped in deep depression, or in a deep religious deception, bondage. Testimonies of people all around the world who said, Jesus stepped in and he reoriented me inside out. I'm a new person. Amen. Jesus stepped in. He set them free. But having to deal with this young person that I was just mentioning about, and don't want to just talk too much here, but I came across this very interesting verse. I want to share that with you in Isaiah 29 and verse 24. The Bible says, Those who have erred in spirit will come to understanding, and those who have complained will learn doctrine. Those who have erred in spirit, I mean, they've gone off into error. They've gone off in the wrong direction. God says, they will come to understanding. They will come back to understanding. And those who complained of all the teaching they receive at all people's church, the Bible says, they will learn. Amen. So I'm praying that for us. Those who have erred in spirit will come to understanding. And those who complained will learn doctrine, teaching. So we're going to take some time to pray. I don't know if there's anyone here who immediately relates to what I'm saying. And, and they may not be. I don't know. That you find yourself in a deep-seated bondage or a deep-seated deception. Whether it's into alcohol, drug, or some other substance abuse. or Whether it's a deep depression, that having suicidal tendencies. Could be somebody here this morning. Or just trapped in an abnormal lifestyle. You've kept it so secret. Your cell group leader doesn't know about it. Maybe you're here this morning. We don't want to reject you. We want to welcome you to Jesus. Who can reorient you inside out. Or maybe being drawn into some sort of religious deception. It's leading you into bondage. Maybe there's somebody here who can pray with us this morning. And I love God to bring about total transformation inside out. But I also want us to do something. I want us to pray for those we do know. Maybe you know of one person. Maybe it's a family, a relative, a friend, a colleague in the workplace whom you say, you identify and say, you know, this person really is in this kind of a situation. And this morning, I want you to pray for him or her. And very simply, we want to welcome God to replace lies with the truth. Just pray and say, God, if it's for yourself, you say, God, in my life, replace the lies with the truth. Or for your friends, for your family, your relative. Pray and say, God. Replace lies with the truth in that person's life. And then ask God to break the power of sin through the cross of Jesus. 
that controlling thing, that which controls that person, that might be controlling you, is sin. We are not disowning that. Or we need to ask God to break the power of sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. Today can be a day of deliverance for you or for someone you know that you pray for this morning. That because you prayed, Jesus stepped into their world. Because you prayed, He answers. Isaiah 42 verse 7, the Bible tells, talking about the Messiah, that He's come to open blind eyes to bring prisoners from the prison. To bring prisoners out of the prison. Prisoners themselves might, might find it impossible to come out of the prison. But there is the anointed Messiah who has come to bring prisoners out of the prison. And so we're going to pray this morning that Jesus will step into their world. Step into their prison and bring them out. Set the captives free. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.